Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining us on Michigan Minds. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today and learning from you. So can you start by introducing yourself and sharing a bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Scott Campbell. I'm a professor in the Department of Communication and Media. I've been here since 2005 um, and my area of specialty is particularly uh, mobile communication, the social uses and consequences of it. Uh, to my knowledge, I did the first dissertation on this topic, um, and we had an alumnus who um, donated some money to the university just for the study of it, Arnold Pose, and so I have an endowed position just to study mobile media and communication, which is now kind of a big field, but um, at the time when I came here, um, there were just a handful of us kind of doing this work. Thank you. That's super interesting. So what areas does your research focus on? Well, I am interested in the dynamics between the self and society. I think that um, there's been a lot of really great work done on the self from uh, the field of psychology. I think that there's been a lot of great work done on society and social structure in sociology. And I'm trying to help, I guess, kind of bridge some gaps between those disciplines by looking at communication and how communication is what mediates between self and social structures and our social collectives. And I'm particularly interested in the changing dynamics between self and society in a digital context. Wonderful, thank you. Last year, you published a paper titled Reconceptualizing Solitude in the Digital Era from Being Alone to Non-Communication. Can you provide insight on this work and share a bit about its evolution from previous theories? Yeah, I'd, I'd be glad to. So this piece was uh, inspired by, I guess, um, I wanted to look at the, the other side of the coin from communication. And I, you know, I've spent my career looking at how and, and with what consequences people are socially connected. On the other side of the coin is solitude, which is also important. Um, solitude can have a lot of benefits. It, it can also have its drawbacks. It depends on the context, but what I found was that the research and the theory that was done on solitude was really done um, before the rise of mobile and social and digital media. And so I wanted to take a look at the way that we can rethink solitude as a matter of social aloneness rather than physical aloneness. And what I wanna say about that is that it's, it's important when we start thinking about solitude as social aloneness and physical aloneness, and the fact that we can um, connect anytime, anywhere now with our mobile phones in our pockets, um, it, it, it helps us realize that there is a couple of different versions of solitude and that some, some of it is going away. So, so we can think of solitude as a matter of choice or not. There are those moments where we have to experience being alone. And then there are those times where we choose to be alone. And my point here with this is that those moments where we don't, you know, where it's not our choice, we don't have to experience those moments anymore. They're not mandatory. We can, we can sidestep those moments, which is interesting if you think about it, um, because solitude, like I said, does have certain benefits for well-being. We wouldn't want to get rid of all of our, our solitude, that's for sure. 
Thank you very much. So you were recently featured in the Wall Street Journal to discuss the harm on social media users from the constant circulation of disturbing videos. As a researcher who examines the uses and consequences of mobile and social media, can you describe the impact these viral videos have on the well-being of social users? Sure. Uh, we are seeing with social media uh, a much lower threshold for, um, for who can participate in public communication, which is a good thing. But um, we're also seeing a lower threshold for how people can participate and what gets shared. And these, uh, there are disturbing viral videos. The, the Wall Street Journal article is referencing a video of a, a boy who fell out of a roller coaster to his death and how the video was, um, was taken and shared through social media channels and, and how it does have um, negative impacts, you know, on, on people's well-being to have to experience this kind of trauma. And there are different social media channels we were talking about in the article that have different standards, different community standards, different rules, and how important this is, because like it or not, um, these social media channels are part of our democratic system. Um, even, even newspapers, we consider newspapers to be a cornerstone of democracy, even those are just happy accidents. Really, those started off as kind of like neighborhood flyers more than anything. Uh, and social media is, is like that too. You know, it, it started off not with this intention, at least not Facebook. Um, maybe Twitter had a little bit more of a, uh, a First Amendment kind of spirit to it. But, but it's important, I think, for the social media companies to, um, they're private companies and they need to maintain standards. Um, it, you know, to have, uh, for people to have the right expectations for what their experiences are going to be like, those standards vary quite a bit. So some of the channels were very good at keeping this content off. Instagram, for example, TikTok, I should say also, TikTok particularly. Um, some of the social media channels were not in a big hurry to get rid of it, though. Kind of along the same lines, like talking about what social media platforms are doing to reduce this, this type of content. Um, has anything changed over the years? Are they getting better at filtering or reducing this kind of content? Well, we're, we're, we're seeing more diversity, I would say, in the social media universe. And as we see more diversity, I think we see more examples of social dumpster fires um, and examples of cleaner spaces. You know, and again, I think it comes down to community standards. So on, you know, Twitter, the community standards are very low and uh, people are not very accountable really. I mean, they, they get in trouble, they get kicked off, but the uh, standards though, for what can be shared are, are, are different than say, for example, TikTok. And on TikTok, if, if people try to post content that is upsetting or disturbing um, or too sexual in nature or whatever, um, it gets shut down, it gets reported and it gets shut down. And so I think that this is an example of how there is a lot of power. It's like having a party in your house, you know? Are you gonna let people pull out, you know, guns and drugs and all this kind of stuff if, if it's in your house? Or are you going to have standards for what kind of party you wanna have? And that's what these social media companies are deciding. And some of them are doing it differently than others, you know? I wanna say briefly that there's also, you know, that's kind of the supply side of ethics, the supplier of social media, but then there's the demand side. And there's ethics on our part too. And we have to be ethical users. 
it's good. It's for our own well-being, but it's for the well-being of others um, um, to be ethical in our mindset of how we're using social media. And so some of the, the responsibility lies on the individual too. Thank you. And thank you for that analogy. I think that was the perfect way to put it. Um, with social media being a place where people have the freedom uh, to share what they experience, can you talk a little bit about the freedom of speech and the privacy of families, kind of referencing the video um, that was referenced in the Wall Street Journal article um, of that fatal fall? Yes. One of the questions that the reporter asked me about that fall was whether it should be illegal um, to, to post that kind of content, you know, and that's a personal question, right? That's an opinion question. So, you know, I have a certain amount of expertise, but some of this is also just where I'm coming from as, as a person. Um, and I, I will just tell you that as somebody who does study um, communication technology, democracy, free speech, and who is a human being, I very strongly feel that that it, that it is better to live in a world where we have to deal with the freedom to post these videos, that that's our problem. I think that that is a much, in my opinion, a much better problem to have. It is a serious problem. I mean, it is very damaging, like I said, for people's well-being, for the family to have to go through this and all that. Although the lawyer of the family kind of likes that this got distributed because the lawyer says that it helps their case. But you know, this is nasty, right? This is nasty stuff that we should not have out in the public realm, little kids experiencing. This is their democracy, their democratic space as well. These are their first experiences. You know, It's possible to stumble across this stuff in, in the short amount of time that some of these social media platforms um, um, did have it out there. And so to me, it's a serious problem. I don't wanna downplay it, but my gosh, it would be so much worse if we were experiencing what Russia is going through right now with banning social media, with banning journalism, with banning free speech. Um, I, I cannot tell you, um, the, I, I think the importance of free speech for democracy and democracy does not guarantee fairness. It does not guarantee that everybody's happy and, and good. It, it's not even, you know, Democracy is a huge mess. And that's why I, I'm calling attention to the, to the, de, to the demand side of, of ethics, us as humans who de, you know, demand access to communication resources. Well, we have to bring our own set of ethics and principles to the table. It's just as important that we do in terms of not just what we post, but what we report, what we don't report, what we look at, et cetera. Thank you. Kind of on that same note, um, do you have any advice or tips for how users can avoid receiving this kind of disturbing content on their feeds? Um, are there ways like reporting or filtering that will actually reduce the amount of this type of content? Oh yeah, the, the, reporting, the reporting does a good job. I, I don't know, I couldn't tell you about filtering other than using your own, you know, your own perceptions um, to filter this content out. I don't know exactly how the different algorithms work on different social media platforms, but I can tell you this, that I think you're asking a really good question and that it's a really difficult answer. I have an answer. I don't think it's simple. I think it, I think it has something to do with media literacy, but I don't think media literacy is available to us without media mindedness first. So in other words, I think we have to have a sense of appreciation 
of the real power of these messages um, and, and how that power can be harnessed and how it can shape uh, public opinion. Um, it can shape perceptions of the truth. I, I don't, I think these are things that we kind of take for granted. You know, the media, the digital environment, it's, it's not really something that we see. We see these little outputs. We don't see the infrastructure. We don't see the flows of the bits and bytes. So I don't think we appreciate it. And I think what I'm going to argue is that we need to have a higher sense of mindedness, mindfulness, maybe mindedness is what I'm calling it, media mindedness, um, so that we can turn on our media literacy skills. And that means that we have to really care, you know, in a way that I think that, that instead of caring, we tend to take our media for granted. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, as the podcast comes to a close, we often ask our faculty if there is one thing you hope listeners remember from this conversation. Yeah, I do. I, if there's one thing I hope they remember from this conversation, it is to appreciate the messiness of democracy and the role that media and media is inherently messy the role that media play in giving rise to democracy. So media and communication are not inherently good or bad. I have a colleague who likes to say that you can use a cell phone to, um, to plan a terrorist attack um, or to execute one or to order flowers for your mother on Mother's Day, right? And so I guess I would want to ask the audience to keep in mind that, that really the good and the bad is in how we use it you know, it, it's, it's really kind of up to us. And, and I think that we, a lot of times, are, are looking to the government to regulate or not regulate, looking to social media companies to regulate or not regulate. And that is really important. And this is not a zero-sum game. I just think we need to up our side of the ethics individually a little bit more, bring more attention and mindfulness to our role in, in this, because it's important. Democracy is at stake, even if we're just talking about a fall from a roller coaster ride. It is still part of how democracy works. Thank you. And is there anything else you would like to share? I just want to say thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate the work that you're doing with these podcasts and that you're having me on for this one. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information with us today and taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.